how do I sound, by the way? Do I sound any different? It sounds good in there. Maybe acoustics are better. Um... I don't I don't know. Uh, it's a little different. When we were packing out of the apartment, I realized how much just having stuff inside a room <laughs> can affect the acoustics. Because like once we cleared out the bathroom, I'm like, holy shit, this is like a cave in here. It was, it was very uh, echoey. Shit was bouncing off the walls like mad. Yeah. Yeah, everything in your room seems to affect acoustics in some way that you don't realize yeah sound man it's weird yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh if the people who are listening can't tell uh i'm in a different room for the first time in in a while uh because i've i've moved i've left my shitty apartment with the shitty neighbors who uh made shitty noise all day and now i live in a nice uh little community neighborhood where it's mostly old people so uh they can't even get up off the couch to make noise old people are good they're good yeah, to have they're, as they're very nice there's there's a couple of people who have come by you know and, and met and introduced uh one of their dogs got away <laughs> while they were walking them and just walked into our garage when we were unpacking things. We're like, oh, hi. <laughs> so we had to go find them. And I imagine that's going to be a regular occurrence if it's that easy to slip away. <laughs> and you're uh, one of the first millennials to buy a house. How does that feel? I, I am. Uh, I think I'm actually, uh, I, I saw when I got the paperwork, I am the 112th millennial to purchase a house. <laughs> Which, which is pretty crazy, uh, considering I'm only one of, uh, I think, 19 whose, uh, you know, parents aren't uh, in the top 10th percentile. <laughs> but that's not to say that I didn't have an incredible, incredible amount of help from our, our parents here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, and, I'm, I, and I think it's a tragedy that I have to, that we have to rely on them so much to, to get this place. And uh, we, we could have done more, but they were very insistent on helping us out a lot. They were very enthusiastic about their patronage and uh, we were not in a position I, to turn them down. I feel like um, nobody's truly self-sustaining, right? Like the stuff we buy from the grocery store, someone produces, nobody is really self-sufficient in any way. Yeah. Um, we all, we all depend on each other for something. So. so Certainly. And I just, I want to be aware of the, the very unique privilege that we've had to purchase this place because really we could not have bought this very nice house. Uh, we, we would probably have to buy like a tiny ass house, uh, probably in somewhere not very nice if we had to live off of our own again, people. And again, we, we still, I have the privilege as well of having somebody to live with and help pay rent with as well. You know, you literally, you can't live anywhere in right here in this area on your own uh probably can in other places in the country but uh i don't really want to live in those places so I mean, yeah i realize the privilege of even living in seattle right uh, i mean it's not something everyone can do and i i realize that we're both privileged that we have time to make a podcast you know in the middle of a day on a tuesday for a friday release so. yeah it's prob- probably a nice day outside let me open my window here sitting in front of me much better light by the way uh much better lighting situation yeah these these lights these weren't here before we had to get these installed from an electrician there was no house this is a very old person house i don't know if you Mm -hmm. can tell but this is the whole place is covered in wallpaper wallpaper. yeah (laughs) it's entirely wallpapered there's like it's a gold theming in all the bathrooms we had to take out a bunch of bars like there was like three sets of bars near every toilet so you know the last people who lived here were very ancient i'd leave them in you know um more more fun the more bars by the toilet the more fun they say <laughs> yeah you can you can get uh some exercises in between activities <laughs> yeah you could get something in um yeah Ho- hopefully we'll be recording an, an in-person podcast from here soon enough uh i know you're you're supposed to have gotten the vex and vaccine here right well Part one. just first congrats on the house and everything so happy yeah. for you guys and uh, i'm very happy as well to to have somewhere very nice it feels like a big step 2020 was a crap shoot so 2021 is when we're gonna get all the shit done and Hell yeah. move forward <laughs> um same for me it feels like we're getting back to um society in a way for me going and getting that first vaccine shot felt like a return to culture like i had been in the woods for a year and i had just emerged and i didn't know how to be around large groups of people anymore <laughs> um like uh, so, I got it at the the place where the Sounders Seahawks play, uh, formerly CenturyLink, now Lumen Field. Um, 
So just a large mass of people going up to that parking structure. And when I got in trying to give them my confirmation code, they're like, can we take some photos of you? <laughs> I, I was so disarmed. That I'm like, yes, take all of them that you want. So they're like, okay, go pose by this Russell Wilson backdrop. And um, it, it feels like those people are heroic. The ones that are giving the shots, like a, um, I've never heard anyone cheer for a, like a, like a medical procedure before, but of course we're in the Sounders arena. So we're giving them the ole, 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 you know, we're giving them those uh, soccer chants and Mm -hmm. everyone's clapping and so happy. And I realized I haven't had a joyous group experience for over a year. Did they have Uh, those big, like, like horn things that people play (laughs) at soccer games where those things called again? Vuvuzelas? Yeah. Yeah. Those things. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't the world cup from, eight years ago whatever. <laughs> i wish it were um next time i may bring my vuvuzela it's hard with the mask though you right try to stick it through your mask and... but i i know what you mean about them being like uh heroes and really like doing a lot of uh, great work my uh I, there was a news article I, I saw recently that uh it featured my brother very prominently in it in this little short video he's for uh he works with the national guard and he was out there giving uh vaccine shots to people and so that was that was really great to see, and uh, I'm very proud of him as well for being you know in the, in the up on the line like that and you know doing great work. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so that makes me happy. Uh, I don't know why I haven't gotten a vaccine yet. Uh, <laughs> I was very disappointed because I had the opportunity to. Um, my boss from from my work uh, messaged me said, "Hey, they're they're giving up vaccines at the fairground. You know, if you get there before four, you can get in and get one." But my phone was broken at that no. point and so like like literally for like yeah. a few days uh is you know my my phone screen uh well, well my phone broke the, the screen shattered and then i had to get it replaced and then the next day it stopped responding to my touch because the people <laughs> voiced it are Fuck. apparently shitty and and so i had to like i couldn't open it in any way it was locked it was stuck on the screen <laughs> so uh i i didn't notice the text message till like much later in the day because i just i didn't have my phone near me because it was it was just a brick but i could still receive messages and i saw it on like the screen and i'm like no and it was like five o'clock when i noticed the message it's like ah oh, son of a bitch <laughs> i i think uh the comforting thing is it's just a jab right um it goes right into your muscle in your arm though and uh the only real effects i felt is fatigue and and a sore arm so uh very happy also to be reporting that and not be one of those oh it gave me a great fever it's as bad as getting covid people so uh, um almost no problem at all did, you, I, did you buy any microsoft products afterwards any i i've replaced <laughs> my uh mac you can't see that i'm writing from a a surface a microsoft surface um all of uh, all of our notes are in Microsoft OneNote, so I'll be pulling those up throughout the show. Um, we're replacing our release onto Apple with uh, Zune. Have you heard of the Zune? Yeah, yeah, I think I have. <laughs> yeah, the original Microsoft MP3 player. We're now putting out MP3s. Uh, I, no I, got, I got a message. For, <laughs> I got a message from Pablo saying that you ordered him to only talk about Xbox games now. Yeah, uh, so exclusive Xbox shows. So if they're taking a break this week, I think you'll know why. Um, yeah, they, they've got to reorganize their whole plan to go ahead. They've been stuck on so many Nintendo games for so long that they, yeah. they really got to do some research and figure out some other areas to broaden from. He said, uh, can we do Luigi's Mansion this week? I said, Blink's <laughs> the fucking time sweeper, man. <laughs> so, get with the program. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Microsoft unofficially microsoft uh, sponsored website other than that and seeing the blue screen death occasionally i feel pretty good <laughs> that's great it's great to hear uh i'm very excited for things to get back to normal uh i, I imagine movie theaters will open in in the near future next couple couple months i mean yeah. like the ones i want to go to i mean i don't, I don't really care about like they're the not, chain ones <laughs> they're not really open for me though because all those show times are at night i'm like would i rather hang out with desra at any time or go to a movie so uh, once they give me some daytime screenings again we're very privileged we have time to do things yes. so uh this is the privilege cast with calvin and david <laughs> brought to you by microsoft <laughs> brought to you by the color white but seriously, if Microsoft does want to drop a, a Blinks the Time Sweeper ad spot on here, uh, we're more than willing to do. I'll, I'll record it. I'm a shill. I don't care. Uh, what's your favorite thing about Microsoft? 
um, money, the, the money they pay me uh, to say nice things about them. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> my brother works at Microsoft. That's pretty good. Um, I like that your brother works at Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't jo- like this joke only ago. works well if we if we have actually enough things to say about Microsoft, I have to say, and, and we're hitting a wall right now. <laughs> Yes, we are. Um, I still haven't been able to get that new Xbox, so uh, maybe further Microsoft uh, promotions will come. Um, and tell them we also don't have very many movies. It will be a it will be a stack show with a, I think three topics. Um, Sorry, I I actually have lots of things to say this week between the movie of the week, which which you generously allowed me to pick, and the the documentary, which I sat down and watched. Uh, somehow, I found time to watch a three part documentary series. <laughs> one moving. You want to do that? Then I could do my two. Then we'll do your movie. Sure, okay. sure. Mine kind of ties into like I I picked it intentionally because it tied in with the the main film this week, but uh, not not quite in the same way that I did last week, where it was very explicitly about that. Uh, this week, uh, I watched the the Netflix documentary series Five Came Back, which I'm vaguely a, aware of. That's about like uh, cinema guys who came back from the war and made stuff, right? Yeah, well, they actually they went to the war and made stuff. And, okay, uh, obviously they came back. Uh, that's where the film gets its title. <laughs> it's, they survived the war. Uh, it's it's uh, based on a book uh, from the same name by uh, Mark Harris. Um, and uh, it, ha- it actually uh, features prominently uh, interviews with five contemporary directors who are kind of uh, cinema buffs themselves. And that's uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, who also executive produced the film, Guillermo del Toro, Lawrence Kasdan, and then uh, Paul Greengrass, which I thought was, was kind of an oddity in that bunch there. <laughs> I don't think any of these people went to war. So, no, no, they didn't. But uh, they're they're big movie buffs, and so they're huge fans of the the likes of the five who went there. This, this was during World War II. The five very prominent Hollywood directors: John Ford, Frank Capra, William Wyler, John Huston, and George Stevens, uh, who all, of course, have made their share of uh, brilliant classics both before and after the war. Uh, I think we've covered just like, I think we've done a film from each of them except William Wyler and maybe Capra. Maybe we haven't touched Capra yet on the podcast, which would be kind of interesting. I don't think we have. No. Uh, I, I'm, I'm generally anti-Capra uh, as, as we'll kind of get into with the Sturgis talk here, but I, I still like some of his films and stuff. No cap, as they say on Twitter. Just, I, look, he's, he's very, very wholesome and very optimistic about the world. And I just don't share that sentiment sometimes. <laughs> like, like you, you can definitely accuse Camper of being a little corny. And I think that's fair. But you can't deny that he does get that sentiment sometimes just right. You know, it's a wonderful life. It's, it's got that nice streak in there. Uh, I, I love the, the enthusiasm and optimism of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, even though it's very unbelievable for the political sphere. And I, I genuinely dig Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, though I know you hate courtroom scenes with a fiery passion. I doubt it. I doubt there's anything we'd cover. Maybe like It's a Wonderful Life or something around the holidays sometime. I, I don't maybe, know what. Maybe, but uh, yeah. I'm sure there's another Jack Frost-esque movie out there that <laughs> will take priority. I hope so. But yeah, uh, this was an interesting document. I think a lot of uh, these kind of documentaries, I find great value in them just as kind of like a a collection of all of this footage uh, that you generally haven't seen. Lots of behind the scenes footage of seeing the likes of Capra and William Wyler and John Huston there at war. And and it really catalogs all their very different experiences. Um, You know, like for example, uh, John Ford was there at the Battle of Midway and was injured actually during during the bombings and such, uh, and captured all of the footage for that. And you know he released the the, the documentary for it, uh, and also made one about uh, Pearl Harbor after the fact. Um, George Stevens was there and documented the uh, uh, liberation of Dachau which was uh, extremely traumatizing for him. And afterwards, uh, you know, before then, he was known for making these very bubbly, like musicals and comedy films. Famously, he directed uh, Swing Time, you know, the most prestigious of the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films. Uh, and he never n- made another comedy again after he came back from war. He moved on to kind of darker, more, you know, uh, kind of grandiose dramas. We covered, you know, Shane and The Place in the Sun here, which are two of his most lauded films. William Wyler lost his hearing uh, when, when in uh, flying missions over there. And uh, 
and it's like only was able to slowly gain back part of it over the course of his career. And so it really is this nice uh, catalog of their um, various experiences and the different exposures they had to the war and, and the documents they bring back and the posterity that they were able to uh, preserve there for, for that through the eyes of these legendary Hollywood auteurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how that also altered their trajectory as filmmakers later on in their career. Uh, it is sometimes a little kind of like all over the place timeline wise. It hops back and forth between all of them. It's a lot and to cover. It is. It is a lot to cover. And sometimes it pays more attention to some than others. Like Capper gets a whole lot of coverage because he did like a seven part series Yikes. on a, instructional videos uh, called Why We Fight, which, mm-hmm. which I have seen a good bit of. Uh, and, it, and it explores the nuances of it, like the like the enthusiasm, the jingoism of it, uh, some of the racism, particularly in the the Japanese episode that they go over. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's not, you know, uh, you know, it, it explores that with uh, the you know proper judgment of of today's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also goes into like uh, John Huston's experience filming uh, "Let There Be Light" uh, towards the end of the war, which was about um, the rehabilitation of uh, veterans uh, and the kind of trauma they experienced, and its uh, subsequent uh, suppression at the hands of the government, who didn't want it uh, released because of you know how kind of uh, unflattering it was, and so it didn't actually get uh, seen until the the 1980s. Uh, more than 30 years later but yeah it, it gives a lot of most of its attention to Capra and Ford in particular who were kind of in the you know the heads of the army and uh navy respectively in terms of uh, their command over the uh uh documentarian teams uh and, and it touches a little on like it mentions a couple of stars like Robert Montgomery being there and Clark Gable being part of the war as well uh, but really it focuses just on these these five directors and uh, i think it's a great catalog of them it covers them in lots of time and it, it's a, it was a pretty breezy watch for being probably like four four showers or so i think mm-hmm. it doesn't sound so bad and um... no no very good uh so even for someone like me who basically knew all of these things about yeah. these directors i think there's some like weiler i didn't know as much about going into the film uh, and i learned most about him but generally that's because as one of the big auteurs like he's been forgotten more in modern uh analysis of, of yeah these i don't Hollywood types. i don't know what more i know about weiler than what movies he made so yeah he, again he's he's a huge director especially after the war he made like his most famous films after the war ben-hur best years of our lives uh roman holiday mm-hmm. you know so he's got these big titles but as a personality we don't remember him in the same way we remember like john ford or john houston mm. or capra and such I'd really like a Ben Hur or Roman Holiday podcast one day. I like well, both of those a lot. So. Yeah, we'll definitely get to them. There, there's others like pre pre war and such. There, really, I, I like the Heiress a lot from mm-hmm. uh, William Wyler. If you haven't seen that one, the Westerner is is a lot of fun. Gary Cooper, yeah. So he's got a, a great filmography. He's just not talked as much about nowadays, which uh, certainly seems like something we have to remedy. Yeah, uh, good that he's included in in such a doc. So there's there is a doc- living document about him. Yeah, no, there's no reason for him to be forgotten. It's just I think the conversation is drifted away from him. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well the perspective he brings because he's a, like he was a an emigre director uh, who, who's Jewish. Like his uh, his family was in Germany uh, dur- during the war, or not 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 Germany rather, but I think it was uh, Austria. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so they were uh, you know. In, in that area and, and they were affected by the war so having that perspective as well is is valuable for someone who went into into the service i yeah i thought it was a very well produced uh documentary it's a lot of uh talking heads but again like with a lot of these uh, if i'm getting lots of footage just collected yeah. together that i haven't seen before and lots of information in a very succinctly told way i'll generally be satisfied i don't think it has to reinforce it reinvent the documentary format to be you know uh, spectacular or recommendable um i guess because you're doing documentaries and that's also all that i watch uh <laughs> I, I guess our whole a block of our podcast is going to be singularly documentaries from now on you know it's it's uh, just been working i'm i'm glad yeah. to have found a kind of like a a, a niche to fall into something that's going to work from week to week and, yeah. and i i think i'm finding enough variety uh, i'm on the, I'm on the other i'm on the other side of the war now at least so i've dug my <laughs> way out of the nazi hole out, out of the nazi hole and into the allied trenches um something uh 
So my theme for my two this week is nautical. We're going with the nautical theme. Um, I watched, uh, well, one of my favorite television shows of all time, uh, Fishing with John, is about John Lurie, the uh, musician of the jazz ensemble, the lounge lizards. He takes filmmakers out on a fishing boat. He knows nothing about fishing, and he gives them a fishing pole, sees what happens. You'll have ones with um, Jim Jarmusch or uh, uh, Tom Waits is one of my favorite ones, but I noticed on Criterion they have the... um, they have the commentary track for each of the episodes. So I've been going through watching all of these and just hilarious to me because it's so underproduced and um, peculiar in a way that a David Lynch thing would usually be. Um, I had talked about recently painting with John, which is his new HBO series. Um, I'd really just like to recommend everyone look at fishing with John. It's a peculiar thing, a thing that criterion got involved with when they're pretty early on. Um, I think one of the great TV shows that never gets rated properly. Uh, He talks a lot about how he like put insert sounds rather than like when they're pulling up a shark, he's like, "Uh, here I use sounds of pigs playing. (laughs) (laughs) I use pigs and sheep sounds to uh, get the shark up there. Uh, Meanwhile, Jim Jarmusch is like, why the fuck am I here? He's like, I don't believe ethically in fishing. And Laurie's like, yeah, he told me not to put that in there, but uh, most of these people I won't ever talk to again after the show. So um, (laughs) it's fun to have like the show that is a deconstruction of these celebrity reality things before they ever happened. Like this is 94. Like this is like around or before the time of the real world. We're not really having reality TV shows. So it's insane to me that we have this reality TV show that has already deconstructed a format that doesn't exist. Uh, it seems like a very absurd premise that I can kind of get behind here. And I can see yeah. why it might, it, it looks like it only lasted six episodes. Well, it's very strange. Cause he like shoot one episode, then he'd go on tour with his band and uh, it was funded by Japan. He's always just referencing Japan, like as a nation, as his funder. Um, so uh, he has a lot of interesting talks. Like he put in music of school children celebrating and Japan was like, this must be a mistake. Could you fix it? He's like, no, that's my intention in the cut. Um, so a lot of uh, quirky things in there. And they barely had funding for it. So I think it sat dormant for like two years. And then they finally gave him money. And he's like, well, um, I guess I'll edit an episode every couple months. So very peculiar release schedule. It really needed someone like Criterion to go and save it way back when. So um, it historically, I think it matters for TV and for any kind of reality TV, but it is the most relaxing show I've ever found. I mean, I'll watch any kind of like nautical reality show. I don't care if it's below deck or anything, but um, <laughs> Fishing with John remains the best one. It's never about fishing. They never, <laughs> like the first episode, the uh, cameraman gets sick every time they catch a shark. So they have no footage of them actually reeling anything in. Um, How many sharks do they catch? <laughs> uh, four. They're catching uh, sharks? <laughs> yeah, they, they caught four sharks. Although, Jim Jarmusch was strictly opposed to it. And all his cameramen would just get sick. And it was never about that. It was watching John Lurie have like uh, philosophical conversations with artists while out in a boat. Uh, the Tom Waits one can't be beat. If anyone's going to watch any, I'd watch that. And the Criterion commentary is just meant. I love it. <laughs> that sounds like a, a great recommendation. You said you had two documentaries, yeah. though, nautical ones. There's another one that's by Netflix, uh, My Octopus Teacher, which is going for Academy Award. I think it's the last or one of the last documentaries I hadn't seen. Um, Our friend Mac really loved it, so I wanted to jump on it and see what it was about, and I ended up liking it quite a bit, too. Yeah, I've I've heard lots about it, lots of praise. I think it's got the most buzz around it, uh, at least from what I've heard in terms of the the documentaries uh, this year. Uh, At least it keeps coming up for for me. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, so there's a swimmer who's just completed a documentary he was making uh, with these trackers in in an African country, I believe. But uh, he learned how to track an animal. But in his backyard, he just has this ocean and he'd always go back there and explore. He loved scuba diving. So uh, one day he found an octopus and every day he would just go visit the octopus and kind of catalog it, um, mostly as an experiment to get him shooting again as like a midlife crisis. He needed something to rescue him. He felt like he was directionless and just kind of floating through life. Um, this is and- sounding like Sherman's March again. I'm, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> he would 
I don't think it will be though. It doesn't really go anywhere that you wouldn't expect. Um, sure, I think that's sure. my only knock against the documentary is that uh, exactly what you think happens happens because it's an octopus lives for a year, right? Um, it only has a year of life in it. So he goes down there every day. He catalogs it. Um, suddenly it starts growing with him. And he starts asking questions like what can an octopus really perceive? But also what can we gather from like this intelligent creature? Uh, really beautiful underwater photography. Uh, I, I'd watch pretty much anything like that. I don't know what the directors really did because this guy's just underwater by himself for a year. So there's nothing to shoot. I think the whole thing has to be an editing project. So um, I think just the construction of editing it into a story where the octopus becomes a character that we care about. Uh, when he first goes down there, you're like, this guy's going to get way too sexually attached to this octopus. Oh, and no. <laughs> uh, just, the, just the way he is with it, the intensity of his feeling. And then you're, uh, you're like, wait, I'm a... I'm a little bit emotionally attached now and it starts to work eventually. You start to understand where he's coming from. Um, just seeing the intelligence and beauty of it and how it could actually bond with the human uh, because they're such antisocial creatures and live underwater. We don't really have like a living document of like an octopus. So for scientific value also and marine biology, I think it's significant. Um, there are other documentaries I like more. I think Collective is better. Um, I think a few of the others might have better odds, but uh, this could win. That would be fine. All right. That's that's uh, good to hear. Uh, I'm not entirely sold based on your pitch here, I have to say. but <laughs> I mean, what would you need to be sold about a, a documentary about a, a octopus? I, yeah, I guess that's true as well. There is that inherent thing like who, who doesn't want to watch something about an octopus, you know, for... Uh, however long i'll watch five hour documentary about an octopus i guess yeah um i i don't think there's a ton there if you're not already interested in that premise and yeah. and kind of exploring with him what it means to be attached to a creature like if you don't have pets or kids i i don't know like ezra and yager my dog were falling asleep on me while i was watching and i just thought wow that's such a great experience well uh you know me, I, th I think uh, not only is my documentary taste so far shown this, but film taste in general. Uh, I have. <laughs> I, I don't think it's any secret that I, I'm more interested in something that's that's like inherently like exciting. Story, the, yeah. Like there's a, there's a hook of some kind as opposed to something more observational. Mm. Observational cinema. Uh, it's just not my bag as much, I guess. Uh, which is not to say that it's not valid. Uh, it is a very important medium, and there are certainly ones that I like. Uh, just comes down well, you to... never watched like an animal documentary just like the like planet earth no like... i know planet earth and like the blue planet series they're like super popular but no 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 not really because <laughs> <laughs> i consider them just worthwhile as like wallpaper movies or something yeah. I put on the background I, I think it's fine uh, i i think that's certainly the the case too but like i just don't uh, well oh uh, in the world uh... I don't. I just. I don't. I don't watch that stuff as much. So it's kind of like like observational. Like you got your National Geographic commentary over things. The the predator. It's natural habitat. You know. I think it. I think it would be hard to sell you if you're just not interested in animals, right? Like it. it... Ah, it's not that I'm not interested in animals. I just. I don't know. I, I want the animals to be doing something interesting. You know. If there's if there's something like more noteworthy more extraordinary to document as opposed to just kind of like this uh you know like kind of like singular you know interaction uh experience with an animal i don't know like that doesn't grab my attention as immediately uh yeah. and again it's not to say that i couldn't be surprised or taken by it but like it's not as strong a pitch to me personally it gets chased around by some sharks uh, it plays with some fish uh, it does octopus things it doesn't do anything an octopus doesn't do that i'm more, I'm more sold on your your fishing with john thing that the, the absurdism <laughs> I do think you there. should watch one of those uh those are Probably quick well, and said, very clever you said the tom wheats one was the yeah. best it's only like 15 minutes of your time, 15, 20 minutes. It's not going to be any stretch to watch it. I could probably afford that. Was that on the Criterion channel right it now? It is, or? yeah. Cool. Okay. That's that's going on the watch list, actually. I'll that would right be a now. good one for your doctoring. So, I should have just pitched it as that. <laughs> well, may, maybe we'll see how we, where we're at next week. Maybe we'll do Fishing with John Part 2, Fishing with Calvin and David. <laughs> that would be excellent. I'm going to turn off Cortana first. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. Yeah, I heard her interrupt us. Sorry, we'll my Microsoft back. 
Cortana is really going off today. <laughs> uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the, the miracle of uh, Morgan Creek. Morgan Crick. The Crick. <laughs> I didn't I got a Cortana plug in. I mean, well, yeah, I didn't mean for that whole thing to become David doesn't like, you know, observational or, you know, non-exciting movies. But I think it's a fair thing, though. I mean, it's just no, a it's... documentary, too. It's just it's it's a true thing, and it's and it's a, a little sad to admit sometimes. But yeah, it's I don't think it's any secret that my scope of cinema is not as broad as it could be. Well, I think you like things that are like about illusion and telling a bigger story, right? You, I like I like to be dazzled, certainly, be it either by you know you uh, want to be surprised by something, right? Uh, I don't know if necessarily surprised because I do like the comfort of just like mundane things i'll watch shitty musicals you know just because i like the people in them yeah, you know, i watched that i watched pal joey and that was that was terrible but i like to hear frank sinatra sing and so yeah. i was like well that was that was no and, and it's one of those things well like i'll just keep watching hollywood movies because i'm like the more of these i watch even the bad ones the, the more, more yeah, yeah the, the more i can speak on the subject about it so i'm just i'm i'm digging my heels in on this and becoming an expert uh, Meanwhile, of... <laughs> I'm becoming only a Francophile. Uh, <laughs> I keep I keep leaning down that path and having to course correct myself because I have to review movies for a website. But if it weren't for he... this website, I just only watch French things. French movies. <laughs> I guess you can watch new French movies, but uh, they're a little harder to find. I guess they're few and far between. Um, I I will have one coming up uh, next week. I'll have Sif. So. Uh, we'll talk about Sif. Maybe week after that. I don't know how the time will go there. Yeah, I got to get back to writing something. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it's been so. It's just been a crazy, uh, couple like like a month. It's been like a month doing all of this, getting ready and whatnot. Yeah, maybe do like a like a inter- introductory piece to like your musical thing and just something that really gets the motor going. I did. Or, I, I got. Okay. I got the first one done. I'm working on the second one. Okay. And then I'm like, I don't know. I need to do some other things. Throw me throw me a review or something if you find anything. Yeah, let me think about it. Uh, speaking of Elephantitis, uh, Miracle of Morgan's Creek. <laughs> spots. The spots. <laughs> so, um, correct me if I'm wrong. This was your fourth Preston Sturges movie, right? It's fourth or fifth. It's it's in that in that range somewhere. Because let's see, we we, we did the I did Lady Travels. Eve. Yeah, Lady Eve. You, we did the Sullivan's Travels, Travels podcast, and I made you and, and you decided to watch the Sin of Harold Diddlebach. Uh, because yes. I wrote I wrote that piece on it, which is not so, one typically people get to in terms of like covering him <laughs> that early. Yeah, uh, yeah, or ever even. Lots of people don't know about it. Hence why I wrote uh, the the retrospective on it. And Palm Beach Story. Oh yes, Palm one. Beach Story. So. Yeah, you got to rewatch that one though. I think again. Why got re- uh, I think you should just rewatch all of them because they're all great movies. But <laughs> I mean, I liked it. Uh... The, the, I'm finding uh, as as a as a resident Preston Sturges expert here. I'm finding the more I watch them, the more I appreciate. The more I hone in on his his style, the consistency of his his casts and such. The you know his specific brand of humor uh and uh you know like like regular uh interests his themes and such and i think palm beach story is is one of the the best there in terms of uh you know highlighting these these observations he has about you know uh, uh particularly like like women and what he calls like the uh aristocracy of the the the, the beauty um yeah and how you can get by with that and and it's just a really great hilarious screwball kind of film as well <laughs> But I'd asked you not to watch The Miracle of Morgan's Creek initially when you were first discovering and binging Preston Sturges because yes. I, I wanted to save it for the podcast. And it's one that is best not to know a whole lot about. I would agree <laughs> I that I think if you knew the movie is its ending, which we'll get to. Uh, I think if you knew too much. Well, it's, it's so much in the, the way it kind of like uh, goes about tackling its subject matter, which... I think the first thing, and the reason why you don't want to tell anyone is about it is because it's kind of shocking that the film 
was released with this premise in 1943. So I took the, it, <laughs> I'll just go through like my process of realizing it because it was my first time. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I thought Miracle Morgan Creek, that it must be a military film. That sounds like a military campaign, like on a Creek. Right. And that sounds like something that's setting something else up. But then as soon as I realized it was about a romance, I knew she would be pregnant um, because it says miracle and it's a romance. So. <laughs> it, it, yeah. If, if you think about it, that way then that, that is a bit more uh leading in in terms of what the the miracle is um but you know what what, what it actually is then is kind of even more of a surprise and it's and it's a pretty fantastic conclusion that we can get into if we want to but uh we should probably talk about the movie proper okay. first but the the military aspects is interesting that you do touch on because uh it's it's a prevalent part of the movie uh there's it starts some, that way right yeah it does start that way and i think it has those uh aspects that kind of linger again like the whole premise is basically <laughs> the, the the military setting is a springboard for the the uh the subject of the film and he builds on it later like it's this inkling of an idea that you then get in his follow-up film the conquering hero which is a full-on satire of um you know this kind of like hyper patriotic sensibility that uh the country had during world war ii and those ideas are there in the beginning of miracle of morgan's creek uh with this idea of wanting to fawn over the boys and give them a good send-off and everything and just being overly affectionate to a point where it gets them into this debacle to begin with and then this this whole spirit of like uh you know trying to impersonate a soldier later on in the film and stuff like all of that is there and i think that's a the kind of brilliance of it is that uh, Sturges can subvert the uh, the ideas of, of patriotism and you know uh, military interest going on at the time in 1943, and uh, you know make it a subject of, of, of farce and not even of central farce as he does in uh, Hail the Conquering Hero later, but like it's just a, it's a background element of so many different moving parts of this movie. It's really about finding out how people could get what they want without um, military interest. What how, what does it mean for a man who's unfit to serve in the military to stay home? How could he still find honor? And how could this woman without a husband uh, find such a man and then find happiness with him? Um, I think because it is these these two kind of oddballs and they're uh, kind of outcasts in, in both ways that she wouldn't be a good housewife apparently uh, uh, going by her father uh, and then he wouldn't be fit for the military how could he be a great man and her be a um back then you would say a productive or reproducing member of a society so uh yeah it, it's it's got all of that kind of in there and it's also just you know this great concept for for the the comedy vehicle it's got a great aspects about small town like or you know uh life that is kind of commenting on the very gossipy kind of world where you know the, the reputation hinges on you know what people think and stuff and uh how that goes and 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 this big kind of attempt to cover up the the pregnancy that that takes place uh so um trudy Cockenlocker, uh a very yes. sturge's name possibly the best sturge's name of his films certainly uh, the by, most sturge's name played by uh betty hutton is goes off to to kiss all the boys goodbye uh and drinks some lemonade she has some lemonade with the boys and doesn't remember anything the next day and, and it turns out that not only did she get married to one of the soldiers uh during one of the festivities but uh she she becomes pregnant and and the way they uh tell you that i think the way in the script it's it's done is executed so well because it's not said the word pregnant is never said yeah but, but it's know. never questioned either it's very obvious that that's the case as well it just goes straight from her realizing that that she's married like she's she's wearing the shower curtain ring and they have that revelation right. the very yeah, next yeah. scene <laughs> she's in the doctor's office talking and, and and has this very sullen look and they don't they don't say exactly what she you know the doctor says come back you know and see me in another month it's interesting to me because they use these other ways of saying things uh you would you would say they they don't say the thing directly but they put her in a situation like where possibly a woman uh, drinks too much and makes a mistake. Instead, she drinks lemonade and hits her head. Um, so I think it has these like really clever ways of working around the sensor by not saying the thing. Like it's so uh, clever and bold about how it gets there. When she goes in and sees a doctor, it's in the means that you'd see a woman go in and talk to a doctor about a baby. Um, I mean, I, you, you feel these things even if they're not said by how they're portrayed. 
Right. Like it's really like the way Sturges got around it was like he literally played the 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 rules to a T. Like all like <laughs> against you know, themselves, yeah. Yeah, like he like it's basically like everything there adheres to these kind of stringent rules, but but uh, you know, he's still able to skirt around it. And I'm not sure if it's just like they overlooked it because it was just that don't think you know so. watertight or or just like they weren't caring as much because um you know it, the the war was going on and there were other priorities or if it was just because Sturges was at the height of his power because this is off of the like the back-to-back successes of you know great yeah. mcginty christmas in july uh sullivan's travels lady eve and and then uh palm beach story and then this like these were all big 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 films for paramount and he Sturgis was like one of the highest paid People in America at this point, he was mm-hmm. the top moneymaker for Paramount uh, at this time in his history. This was the high Miracle Borges Creek was the highest grossing film for Paramount that year. They said that there was it was standing room only in most theaters uh, around the country. And, and, and so this did, was a huge hit. They did help hold it up for at least one year with the censors. And I believe back then you could correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the process something like you'd send like the spec scripts to them and they'd, they'd look at like the parts of it and you'd try to like correct what was a, so it seemed like he really played the censors in a way that was a long and painstaking and the producers probably had to deal with a lot of shit. But I think when you have that kind of power, I think that makes him like a, a very provoking guy. I think it makes him more iconic and interesting. Like I thought about this movie and the comedy doesn't, always work for me most of the time but then i think it's such a provocative thing to make um i think it's so it bends the rules in such interesting ways that how could i not appreciate the historical need for this movie and where it stands with comedies what i always appreciate as well when the comedy can be more than just a good laugh like there, there's yeah. definitely something more revealing here uh about uh the the, the country and the state of things and and the general social thing, you know, uh, aspects that we don't want to go about and 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 say and talk about. And by, I, by I just showing them though, he doesn't he doesn't break the rules because he shows them how they are in in some pretty fucked up ways. And by not saying those things, I think he says a lot too. Um, it's it's and, it, and like with any Sturgis script, it's it's just it's so witty, it's yeah. so clever, and it's so well executed, so well directed. I think something that we don't talk about uh, sometimes with Sturgis uh, enough direction. Is, yeah, yeah, particularly with dialogue. And and there's a really great thing. I think we talked about it when we talked about Sullivan's Travels, but I think this is Miracle Morgan's quickly my favorite example of it is that Sturges loves long takes of actors delivering dialogue, just pages and pages and pages of dialogue. He does. There's a couple of sequences here in Miracle Morgan's Week, but particularly the one where Trudy tells uh, Norval that uh, she's, <laughs> she's Norval, she's another married. great name. <laughs> yes, no, Norval, <laughs> Norval Jones. <laughs> and, and Eddie Bracken, he's just so great. But yeah, where, where they're walking down the street of the town and she's telling him about this and he's having these, and, and, and when he has these revelations and he's just like so taken aback, but it's all done in a single take uh, as he's walking down the street. It breaks a couple of times you'll see for an insert of a close-up, but you can also tell that those inserts are manufactured by blowing up the the the, the, uh, shot. the wide. Yeah. yeah, it's it's grainier. It's not centered correctly. It's so I'm I'm guessing that's like a studio thing, or right. maybe he just changes his mind later. But regardless, you can tell the concept and the execution was still a single take. And what it does is that it preserves the uh, the tension of, of the sequence. It, it brings you into it and then, uh, you know, makes the whole thing magnetic. You can't look away from anything that's going on. It doesn't, t- you know, like at no point can you dip out of this this conversation, this revealing, horrifying, you know, revelation uh, for, for Norfolk as he loses his mind over what, because he's just so earnest and wanting to be there for Trudy. But of course, when he learns yeah. the, the truth of the situation, he can't help but be like, horrified he says that's the awfulest thing i ever heard or the, the most terriblest thing i ever heard <laughs> like several I, times throughout i think it. i i think i have more trouble with the characters than you did well especially well, certainly Bracken. because i i i love the characters i love them all I so much so but yes please just break my heart they, now let's let's get it out of the way the feeling that they're going through constant conniption fits and they're always going off into uh they're going off into hysterias, right? Like they're all the characters are in a hysteria and it's just a lot that it's always that way through the whole movie. (laughs) 
it's just like up and down and it's like also one pace of hysteria that they go through uh, you know he has like i mean it's written in there too right like that's intention he has his spots and he has his uh proclamations <laughs> but i i find them kind of annoying um i'm glad that i like the movie and everything around it though because uh i i do think betty hutton is really remarkable here i just didn't like eddie bracken that much oh that's that's a shame because i i god i love him so so much because it's it's such a terrific performance because I think it's uh, it's people would undervalue how difficult that is to get such an incredible stutter out and to be able to flip back and forth between that sincerity that 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 kind of like infatuated sense and this like complete like you know uh, you know like like you said hysteria it's definitely there's an undeniable hysteria to the film and that's I think the case with a lot of Sturges he's he's honing in on that kind of chaotic sense of comedy that he right. that he loves. And he, and he is and it's it's a very delicate balance i agree with you it, off off the uh, podcast here you compared it to uh bringing up baby i believe which i agree with you that's a very chaotic yeah, they're, they're and, and uncontrolled balls, film right? so. yeah yeah um but the difference is, is i think that there is something a lot more grounding in the concept of miracle morn creek here there's the the particularly the dynamic between betty hutton and eddie bracken here there's a sincere romance aspect of the film that you can buy into that grounds the drama makes it compelling and it makes the hysteria something believable like it's and and, and it's not necessarily just a fever pitch the entire time there's moments of like you know sincere uh exchanges between characters particularly when william demarest gets brought in to to the plot and he's kind of got to you know uh Um, you know is, is to be his son-in-law even the scene where he's like sitting there cleaning his gun and like talking yeah. to him giving advice while you know threatening him at the same time uh there's a there's a sincere sense of like trying to you know connect there and, and look out for his daughter and you know cr- you know create something with this you know soon to be son-in-law and, and help them out of this uh insane scenario that they've got going on that that only mounts in insanity as it continues along i will say our father character both his gun scenes and his pratfalls where he kicks his leg out and uh, <laughs> leg go flying at least three or four times in the film there, uh, there, there's a lot old. I think he is comic gold, and I think he's the star of the show. Well, William Demarest is the favorite of, of Preston Sturges' stock company actors, him. and there's a lot of them. I'm sure, again, the more you watch his films, the more you'll see the various familiar faces throughout, but William Demarest is definitely the loudest and the most recognizable, and this is his most prominent role in any Sturges films, and it's it's absolute gold. It's it's terrific. And he's, I, I do like him in Lady Eve as well. But uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. He's in, he's he's in most, really great here. most all of them. All of the Paramount ones, I think. He was like in every single one of his films up until he left Paramount, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. and then afterwards he you know he, he was still contracted there so uh, but he's he's absolutely a highlight of every one of them but this is definitely his his shining hour this is his biggest moment and <laughs> what about, he gets what about her younger sister she says she's 14 she looks like 25 that, that's that's a very confusing thing for <laughs> she's, me. she's a little older that's a uh, diana lynn uh she at says this time. in the movie she's 14 and that, yeah that may, really maybe not me. i think she i think she could have passed for like 16 maybe first, but but uh, I, I think she plays that character very well. She plays a similar character in Billy Wilder's first film, The Major and the Minor. Mm-hmm. And I think she does really well as this kind of younger, you know, like kind of smarter than the adults, you know, teenager uh, who helps out uh, the, the, the various other kids and stuff. Because that's the other thing. They leave the, like, I think they're, her age is the only one that's stated. They leave Trudy's more ambiguous. At some point, uh William Demers says something about her being a minor, but yeah. like it's it's not clear exactly what that age range is. Somewhere in the eighteen to twenty one, probably. She yeah. like like Eddie Bracken's obviously old enough to live on his own. You know, kind of like rent an apartment near a bank. Uh, well, and did they did they go to school together? That was what yeah. that one interlude. So they're around the same age range, right? Yeah, they're around the same age range, but they are adults. He obviously could have been enlisted in the army. He tried right. to, yeah. but he couldn't because of the the spots and all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes his hysteria a part of the plot, I think. So in that way, as I was writing up my letterbox, I'm like, well, I, I put all these things together and it is a great movie because even if the comedy annoys me, I can't deny that it's very good. Um, it's again, it's 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 not senseless hysteria, certainly. No. There's there's a very there's a point, point to purpose. all of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think if there's ever a premise to be hysterical about, this is the one because it's <laughs> well, 
you you look at what, what the movement was, how to do good in society after the war, and the call was to have babies, right? Like uh, <laughs> when everyone came back, the big call was everyone have babies. So in that way, it is like the most heroic story of of what else you could do to help society after the mm-hmm. war. If you, if you felt like I I know one complaint, certainly one I had when I first watched the film. This is a film that's only grown and grown on me, and I've appreciated it. The more I've seen it, the more I've watched Preston Sturges films. But the, initially, I know I was like this war aspect is kind of a weaker element. It's really only in the beginning and then it kind of disappears for the rest of the film. You know, it's yeah. not as strong commentary point. So if you wanted more of that, I definitely recommend Hail the Conquering I, I Hero. I don't think I do though. I think it's the right amount of war. I think it, I think it's good that it's in the back burner. It shows what people do at home. Like, yeah, no, I've, I've come around on that aspect of it too. And that it's yeah. a, it's, it's smart that it, it doesn't make it such a central part but then like i said he expands upon it on, Once... on that subsequent film but it also has eddie bracken starring you may not be okay. as like put off by him because he's not he's not as hysterical yeah. he's still he's kind of like still like this reluctant thing or not, not capable of you know being the the hero and it's about that a similar way but it's definitely not like like the kind of full-on hysteria but that kind of hysteria is prominent in just about every sturgis films uh you know like fa- famously it also to compare this to the the quail and ale club from uh palm beach story where where and that, that's another great william demers lo- role where he leads yes. a bunch of drunken gun <laughs> club enthusiasts you know through it through a hunt on a train as they go blowing up the <laughs> windows right. and everything and it's and it's absolute madness it's it is great pitch yeah. madness and it's and it's great um there's there's something to it too about his war fixations that he has so many flaws, right? Cause he's so wanting for girlfriend. He's unfit for war. He has these spots. He has the stutter. He has a, such a peculiar personality. He's ugly in the face as he says, yeah, I mean, he has everything pu- going against him. <laughs> he's such a little, little puppy dog. You can't yeah. help but feel bad, bad for him. And you it, want the, the best. And he, and he, and he has the most wholesome intention, like the whole scene where, where William Demarest is trying to allow him to get out of jail. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay, I got to go out and adjust the door. And he, you got me. Such an effort. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's like, okay, I'll stay right here. Don't you worry. <laughs> there's a, there's another thing too. Once he finally gets the military closed to uh, uh, that stolen valor, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just that, uh, they won't fit and he catches them on the car <laughs> the seats of the pants rip <laughs> uh, i mean nothing nothing really works for him in any scenario and when it doesn't it's still funny because um whether or not you want him to succeed it's still fun to watch him to fail uh constantly yeah or, or like when he's uh working at the bank he drops all the money everywhere later on he's like oh i gotta, gotta be very careful opening the safe and you know, otherwise you'll set off the alarm right it just immediately it's 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 very funny and then, and then when he does escape and he gets caught later anyway <laughs> I, yeah, I it just... is very it's very good i i think one of my favorite scenes will be the one where uh he gives the false name when they go into the the motel ratsky what is it like ignitz ignitz ratsky it's the hardest name to say and he already has a stutter West. Yeah, and, and, and Betty Hutton is also like stutter again, like the stuttering yeah. in this film is top <laughs> class. If you ever wanted to watch someone just like stutter in the most incredible way, this is the movie. That seems great because it's infectious. Everyone begins stuttering. <laughs> Nobody can yeah. say their own name. <laughs> and 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 it's funny because I uh and, and then you have Porter Hall as the judge, you know, yeah. or you know, overseeing it. He's just like and he and he's misreading the names all the while. <laughs> Rotsky so or something he says and like every time he, he reads off it's a different name and he's just like going through the motions of it like just trying to get them married as quickly as possible <laughs> I think that's like the good Sturgis stuff where it all really builds into something and it pays off for me so well yeah you can and you can feel the pacing of the the dialogue exchange is so seen it's just you can tell how well rehearsed these are and it just feels so perfect so buttery smooth coming out and i think that's that's some of the the greatest stuff of his uh his films here as you see it a lot in here um i i think it's incredible that this one has kind of been more buried over time since it was his most popular film during his uh reign and something like sullivan's travels was way more of a you know financial you know mix uh, and and that one has become obviously like the the reigning champ of his filmography. And while well, this one, it's it's a little harder and, and and less people know about it. It's not as associated with his name mm-hmm. immediately. But I'm I'm so glad to discover it and share it with people like this. There's uh 
I think for me, the other moment, of course, she's she's pregnant. So she goes into delivery. She's having twins and six tuplets. <laughs> then we get the That's... news reels. And I was I was reeling for about five minutes. Just look at the titles of these. That's and that's when the war comes back into it and the yeah, parody yeah. because you've got like the bit with with Mussolini doing his like <laughs> thing and they're talking about like okay so you get a sense of the time right they're showing all the things that are happening it, it's great contextualization for everything that's happened around them while they've just been on this farce uh, mm-hmm. meanwhile uh, it says like a, a platoon of of kids are born yeah. in the in the Midwest and then uh, Hitler demands a recount and I, I was <laughs> laughing for about twenty minutes. Uh, I, I'm still laughing about it's this. A, it's a funny hit, oh, and I love the bit too, where they have Hitler like screaming at the desk, and then he <laughs> and then he stands up, and he's like in a Napoleon height next to his guys. It's just like it's a sly dig at them, at him, you know, uh, just you know to kind of get under uh, skin and c- can you know continue to boost morale during the time. And it's just a, it's a funny execution of the joke, and it's a nice reflection of the the era and how the film was was being made at the time. But yeah, we, we, we should get into that, the, the, the miracle there and the kind of revelation. Well, and, I, think uh, that's, I think that's honestly what makes me so warm. However annoyed I was by Bracken in the beginning, I can't be annoyed by the ending because it, it is so warm and funny to me. It's it's a very sweet ending, I think, as well. And uh, you know, the I think the execution some of it's uh, you know, fantastic. Certainly some of the jokes. One of my favorite jokes in the film is when he comes to see the the babies and, and it's played is an entirely silent gag, which I think is ingenious. <laughs> and and so that you're inside the delivery room, you're seeing all the babies, he's observing them. It's giving you this nice moment for him to look at all of these waving to the babies and stuff. And then he's like and he and he turns to Diane Lynn, and you can see him mouthing, asking which one is it, and she's like all of them they're all yours and he, and he freaks out again <laughs> and he got the, the spots doesn't he give a yelp too it... yeah and that's, and that's when the whole the, the whole film descends into chaos and then it literally like fades <laughs> out on spots like these spots yeah. are filling up the screen it's a great punctuation but uh well i well, think one... i think we need to talk about like the the end card too i think it's important yeah, Ab- yeah absolutely uh that the the shakespeare quote that he ends on there what is it that uh, some men are, are born uh, great, some men become great, and some have greatness thrust upon them? Something yes. along those lines. <laughs> then the thrust upon them is emphasized there because <laughs> we're looking yep. at Bracken's experience, uh, which, mm-hmm. which makes it very funny and, and a sweet ending, I think. Yeah. I, I think one other thing to highlight, which I don't think you were aware of watching, but uh, the, the Miracle of Morgan's Creek is, is something of a kind of quasi sequel to uh I did know that. first film yeah. you did know that okay i haven't well. seen the first film but i was aware that it was the first film sequel. is the the great mcginty uh which is a kind of like a political satire are they, uh, are they the same characters they they are the same yeah actors, so so this so this film ostensibly takes place during the the setting of that film the time which may not exactly line up because that film was made in 1940 and uh, yeah. the war was not going on at that point for America, but mm. whatever uh, it, it brings in these characters again. And I think what it adds, adds another layer of commentary and satire to the film that I like, which that film had a bit of, but I, I always wanted more of, and that's this kind of like political maneuvering. And that really comes to fruition in the finale there. Cause, cause the whole setting, the, the, the setup of the film is is more of a flashback structure which Sturgis loves to implement like half his movies start with the ending of something else um oh that's interesting seems true too oh yeah if you think yeah. about it uh sullivan's travels it ends on the end of, of a film that they're watching well, i think the best writers always say to start with the ending anyway so i think it's a narrative construction that i'm always interested in so. well he's and he's he's always interested in starting with something exciting like there's this big yeah. rush in the beginning to like get a hold of the uh the governor you know and tell <laughs> him about this crazy thing happening i forgot in that yeah. Creek. yeah well because it, and it comes back in the end because that's how they mm-hmm. get Eddie Bracken back out of jail. And, and it's that great exchange between uh, the, the governor there and uh, the boss. Uh, those are the two characters help, uh, coming over from Great McGinty. And they're just exchanging all these things. And I love the, the conversation they ended back and forth. What do you mean? You know, he was clearly not. He was in a, you know, a guard uniform. He was in a state patrol uniform. Yeah, you know, it was clearly that. I could see it from here. It's, you right. know, we'll reinstate it retrospective to last year. <laughs> retroactive to last year and this exchange is they're doing all of these like like self-serving things so they can capitalize on this incredible sensation going on in this tiny ass nothing town that they don't even know if it's on the map 
in order to get some more boost for their state and clout. <laughs> and so that that little those that small bit of the film, this you know these kind of quick exchanges between the two characters, uh, I think just adds another layer of commentary onto the film that uh, fleshes it out even more. And it, again, it adds a great absurd solution to the, to the climax of the film because you could really call it like like the the climax of the film kind of just comes out of out of nowhere. It has been building in some sense, but it is a, something of a Deus Ex Machina that this the the birth of these sex tuplets just gets them all out of you know immense trouble. Like they're they're living on a farm, basically destitute with yeah. with Eddie Bracken in jail before this, no way out, and then. Bam! They're the sensation of the country, and now they have everything in the world at their fingertips. We look at that generation now as like greatest generation, and so inflated in our mind in a way that, uh, well, there's a lot of history in America where they're like, "Oh, millennials can never accomplish something because this generation did everything for you." Right? Like, imagine being alive at that time and not being part of it. Like, um, compared to how we feel now, like reflected back to this uh, big idea of a greatest generation, like staying home and doing that. And trying to find your own greatness and establish it for yourself. I think this movie has a lot of hope for a common man that uh, maybe couldn't have made it in. I mean, there must have been a lot of those stories, too. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a, an aspect of that. And I think that's always an interesting aspect of uh, Sturgis' perspective of people. Because he he was very much not a common man. <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. He, he grew up very, very privileged and, you know, kind of ran around all of Europe with the, the higher uh, higher ups and everything. Uh, and so it's interesting that he does have this perspective of of, of common people, and you know, he really does through them. his films too. Yeah, he, he speaks for the common American. Yeah, which is which is very interesting. Again, it goes back with Sullivan's travels as well, and then he's always got this very like sharp, you know, critical, you know, uh, eye towards like the the aristocracy and the elite and stuff that you see in Lady Eve and whatnot. But yeah, mm-hmm. Miracle of Morgus Creek, it really is about these like these small town kids who get themselves into a heap of trouble and and have to kind of like find their way out of an absurd situation uh you know and and it it really is mostly about that dynamic you know that could happen to you know any old uh you know uh youngster i guess i guess you would say not a ton of movies back then in the midwest either so a regional perspective that is very common and very like you say like farmerly and rural It's, it's, it's not specifically like midwest but it's definitely like you it know, mentions it a few times in the news yeah clips, yeah it's right? it's but, some somewhere in there it's definitely any not, town USA yeah not really named particularly what the state is right yeah yeah they they talk about it like when when they go through the governor things like you know we have to look out for our state they say they they're yeah. not very specific about it intentionally so and I think again that's the smart thing it makes it more universal yeah uh, anywhere with the creek should do yeah. <laughs> You oh, say that, crick or creek? Creek, creek. Obviously, come on. Who says crick? <laughs> I lived by a, a crick for a few years. So I, 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 I go back and forth. That is, that is another funny dark bit. I think that makes it in the film where they where they have the bit where she's going to talk about drowning herself in the creek. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. We didn't even mention that the the film does get occasionally pretty dark. Yeah. Again, like it's just about like tying rocks to her throat. <laughs> yeah. Like how how did all of this make it into a movie in 1943? That's that's. <laughs> perhaps the most incredible achievement of the film is that it, it how could really I not is... like it considering right yeah. <laughs> that it came out um held and, for a year by censors but obviously nothing drastic was cut no no it, it really like it is shocking still how much got passed and while we shouldn't necessarily like judge a film solely based on like what it was in its its time I think that historical aspect of it just makes it all the more impressive and interesting uh but also i think it's just it's a, a hysterical film some of sturge's best bit even if you don't necessarily get on board all of the the mass hysteria of it i think that you can see that his direction and writing and uh command over comedy in general is, is still very peerless that that still wins out and then i think whether or not i find bracken annoying i i mean Hutton, I think, is amazing, and I, I like the yeah. father, and I like Sturgis all the time, so that all wins for me. Yeah, there's there's so much, I think, uh, to love, and, and the more you watch Sturgis' films, the more of his films you'll love. E- even the crappy ones, I'm willing to give most a pass on, <laughs> okay. because I found something I love. E- like, maybe you'll just see William Demarest pop up in a film, like, and that's all. Like, I think that's that's one of the only things I like about Christmas in July, like outwardly. I'm like, yes, this is hilarious. William Demers is hilarious. Everything else I'm kind of like middle middle on. But 
it's enough for me to enjoy the film and and again like the the occasional Sturge's witticisms but i think this is truly one of his uh again like you can see this is the nadir of his his power as a hollywood auteur i think that's great coverage for it um i i bet you anything we'll be back with Sturgis before too long so uh, uh, I, if I have left. anything to do with it, <laughs> yeah, this is this is this was available on the block of uh, Criterion of you know Sturgis films, which has some of the very very best films he ever made. Uh, definitely check those out uh, some more as, as well if you're liking these. You want to lead us out here? Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, good for today. Thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Make sure as always to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com for our latest reviews, retrospectives, and features. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at the Twin Geeks, and individually at Calvin Kempf and at David A. Punch. Don't forget to check out our sister video game show, The Daydream Cast, with Pavlos and Brogan, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are played. Leave a review and rating if you can, and we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema. This next week, I think we decided on Rocky. That's right. Uh, also on Zune. You, you forgot. <laughs> Zune. Right. I'm sorry. I forgot to mention uh, you can listen on Zune. I, I don't know. I think that's a device and not uh, a podcast program, but I'm sure they've got something else up there. We'll, we'll send you an MP3 to your Hotmail account and then yeah. you can download it onto your uh, Windows XP and then put it on your uh, Windows Media Player and then put that on your um, Zoom device. With John Fishing With John Fishing